you've introduced a character and I'm now thinking about that character. I'm imagining being in that story. And now I'm drawn into this metaverse world in a way that maybe I never had before because you told like the tiny, tiny littlest sliver of a story. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Hi, and welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, David Reamer is here. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Berkeley, California. I've already taken a bike ride, so I'm feeling good. Nice. Now, let me read your bio so everybody knows who you are. The former president of JWT West and VP of marketing at Yahoo, which we were just talking about uh, before we started recording. Amazing stuff from back in the early Internet days. And uh, David now serves on professional faculty at Berkeley Haas School of Business and helps innovators of all kinds build and tell their stories. And your book is Get Your Startup Story Straight, the definitive storytelling framework for innovators and entrepreneurs. And before we get into kind of the, the content of the book, I really wanted to ask you, why did you write this book? Well, mainly, Matt, because a whole bunch of people asked me to. Uh, you know, I've been teaching and coaching um, the founders of, of new companies, small business leaders, uh, product managers on, on storytelling. And uh, they all wanted more resources on it. And there were lots of books on storytelling, but there wasn't one that was expressly written for people who are creating something new uh, or trying to get something new out into the world. And so eventually I realized that you, this, this is a market opportunity. You know, I work with enough innovators. There's a market gap. I said, I'll fill it. And during, uh, you know, COVID times, I wrote the book. Nice. So I was reading in the book, there's a, there's a super interesting story right at the beginning and what I like personally is, is, you know, when you have a story and you've kind of like jump right to the action of the story, right at the beginning, kind of like when you see a movie or, a, or a, you know, a modern TV show, it's always like they kind of jump to the action first and then they go back and tell you what's happening. And I like that the initial part of the book and I, sorry, I can't remember the gentleman's name off the top of my head, but He's like, I read this book and I raised $4 million for my startup, right? And so right out of the gate, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the rest of this book. There's a reason why. he, The guy who wrote that, by the way, is in addition to being a startup founder, he's also a, uh, a former screenwriter. So he gets, he gets it. He also ran CNN for five or six years. He was president of CNN. Um, and he really understands how to tell a story. So, so he knows you need to start with what we often call vertical takeoff in a story. There's a reason why, for example, Bond movies always start with a chase scene. That's what you were referencing. How It's because what it does is it actually activates the cortisol in our body, which is a, a hormone that gets us to, to focus and lock in, it agitates us, and, and, it, and it gets us like our attention. And good storytellers know that you need to do that right off the bat so that your audience is like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. This sounds good. And John was kind enough to write that forward. And, and, and he started it off in the right way with a vertical takeoff. All right. I, I thought it was a great start. And, and then you have a story in there. And I don't want to give away too much of the book, obviously. But you had a story there that you were you were going to play a recording of a keynote speech, right? And like a little bit into, you know, you playing it, they're like, stop the recording, stop the recording, because they'd already heard it because they were there. And the reason 
that you said that they could remember this from so long ago was because of the story, right? And that's essentially how you discovered that that magic of story. Yeah. I mean, I've really been discovering it my whole life. I've been involved in storytelling either professionally as a marketer or avocationally as a writer for my whole life. But that the story of that speech was that I was moving apartments in New York City and a friend of mine named Carla was helping me move. And I was just packing up boxes and I found the cassette tape from my college graduation speech. And I was so proud of myself. I said, oh, you should check this out. So I stuck it in the cassette player. I started to play it. And she said, stop the tape. And I said, what do you mean? She said, stop the tape. And I stopped it. And then she proceeded to tell me what I spoke about because it turns out, even though I had only just met her and we did not go to the same college and I graduated four years prior to this moment, she had actually attended my college graduation because her cousin was in my class and she's close with her cousin. So she attended the graduation. She heard the speech, never met me, didn't know who I was, but remembered the speech because I told the story in the speech. And then the punchline to that story is she later became my wife and we now have you know, two grown children. So that's the, that's the happy ending of that story. Yeah. And kind of the content of that speech was, was mentioned a little bit in the book too. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that story? Because I mean, it was, it was kind of brief in the book, but I feel like there's maybe a little bit more to that. Yeah. Well, the the rest of the story, you know, I often tell people when they're telling stories that listen to your audience and find out if they're looking for more. And then you add color to the story, you add dimension. So the story goes like this. I'm giving this speech. I actually started this speech by pretending to give one of those speeches that's like all, you know, saying all the, the platitudes and everything people say in a speech. And then I said, oh, wait a minute, it's the wrong speech. And I threw it aside and I started my speech. And in the speech, I told a story about writing a paper on the college hill where I went to college in Providence, Rhode Island. And a big gust of wind came and blew the papers downhill. I ran down the hill to get them. And when I got to the bottom of the hill to downtown, I ran into a, a person who, who didn't have a home. Uh, an unhoused person. And that person who's named Flo told me what life was really like. And she basically said, wake up and smell the roses, buddy. You're off your college campus. You got to now deal with the real world and, and solve real problems. And that was actually a, fa- a made up story, but I made it up to illustrate the point that we, we had a great go of it for four years, learning about all this wonderful stuff. But now we had to go out there and, and apply it and, and deal with real world, real world problems. So that was the story of Flo and my, my future wife remembered it from four years before we met. I think that it is something that especially people kind of on the small business side of things who maybe didn't grow up in the marketing or advertising space is they have a fear of telling a story that is not a hundred percent accurate. And I think there is something to, cause there's so much talk about authenticity and truthfulness and truthiness and all this kind of stuff. But there's also absolute merit in telling a fictional story to prove a point. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people in the marketing space. Yeah. You know, I find I usually guide people more towards towards authentic stories, but there's nothing wrong with with embellishing the story a little bit if it makes the story more interesting, as long as you're not tweaking the facts of, of what you what you do. You know, I, I strongly discourage people from doing that. But sometimes you want to, you want to embellish sort of how something happened or how it developed to, to bring people into the story. The storyteller's primary role, and especially when it comes to a small business person or an entrepreneur telling the story, is to make sure that their audience imagine themselves in the shoes of the customer of that small business or entrepreneur. Because if your audience can start to empathize with the customer 
who's got some set of issues that they're dealing with that you as the entrepreneur or small business are going to actually help them resolve and overcome, then it's a far more compelling story if I'm really feeling what that poor customer is going through. And that's what we do in stories. We tell a story about a protagonist. We get to know the protagonist. We know what they like. We know what they don't like. We know what's standing in their way of getting what they want. And then we're rooting in the story for that protagonist to overcome those obstacles to get what they want. And if you can tell a story about what you're working on and get people rooting for your customer to get through the mess that they're facing, thanks to your product or service, then that's a great way to tell a story because then your audience is going to be, yeah, yeah, tell me how you're going to fix that. And then you go ahead and tell them how they're going to, how you're going to fix the problem. And whether you're speaking to a customer or whether you're speaking to an investor or whether you're trying to get a partner on board, whether you're trying to hire someone and get them to believe in what your company is doing, the ability to tell that story about that customer who's going through this pain, you're going to help out somehow with this great product or service you're working on. That's a really compelling thing to do. And it's, it's often necessary to be successful. Yeah, I think you're 100% right there. There's almost this gap, I guess, in the, in the market right now where there's such a small, limited amount of attention for you, like, like attention space. I don't want to say attention span because everybody keeps saying attention spans are getting shorter, but I mean, if something's interesting enough, people are going to watch it, right? So, but you've got this this few seconds to capture attention to kind of start your story. And I think a lot of people get hung up on, you know, how am I going to both teach about my business, tell a story, bring the people into the story, have them empathize with the customer quote in my story and get them over the hurdle to get to the outcome, you know, in... 15 seconds that it gives me on TikTok or something, right? I mean, it's this, it's, it's this struggle, but I think the idea of, you know, the fictional story, or at least, you know, maybe embellished story. I I heard somebody talk once, it might've even been on the show. I don't remember who it was at this point about how you can take a story from your life or from your business and combine it with another story that somebody else told you to kind of make this reinforced story or something completely fictionalized. If you look at some of the kind of heyday of television commercials, you know, from the like early eighties to the kind of early nineties. One example I really like is the one where there's the two kids across the street from each other and each one's in front of a music shop. And the one kid hits the button and gets the Pepsi and goes into the music shop. And the other kid hits the Coke one and he goes into the music shop. And the kid who went into the Pepsi one comes out and he's like playing a tuba. And the kid who went into the Coke one turns out to be Jimi Hendrix playing guitar on stage, right? And it's telling a story, right? But I mean, this is a completely fictional story. It has no basis in fact, right? But it does, you know, illustrate the point. Yeah, it can, it's consistent with what the, the, that brand Coke wants you to f- believe and feel about the brand. I mean, it, I'm smiling on this end in, in large part because you're remembering something from 30, 35 years ago that that just stuck with you because it was a story it wasn't just one thing that happened it was a story right there's a beginning a middle and an end and someone goes on some journey and there's two little boys i guess going on these these two journeys and it was very memorable for that reason i want to talk about this notion of getting into a story quickly we talked a little bit about it at the beginning but another ex- example of someone doing that in the context of telling the story of their business is the story of a guy named Thibaut Duchemin 
who is a, a French uh, entrepreneur now based in California, who started a presentation that I saw where he said, I grew up in a deaf family. My parents are deaf. My sister is deaf. That's the beginning of his presentation. And you're hooked, right? You've got to hear that story. He then goes on to say, you know, if you're having a group conversation and I'm looking over to the right, say, and listening to someone and someone to the left starts speaking and I'm, I'm, I'm hard of hearing or deaf, even if I read lips, I miss the words of the people who I can't see who are speaking. And by the time I catch up with them, I missed a few words and now I'm out of the conversation. And then he says, there's 400 million people who have that problem, who are deaf or hard of hearing, who can't navigate these conversations. And then he goes on to talk about how he's going to solve it. And that's such a powerful way into the story that he's introduced who he's building it for. He's introduced the scope of the problem. He's introduced the exact problem he's going to solve. And he's done it in about 20 seconds. And you want to hear that story. So it's a great illustration. And I just actually wrote an article about that particular story in Forbes, on Forbes.com, where I'm a contributor, because he's recently ridden the wave of his incredible execution and storytelling to raise $16 million to help him uh, fund that business. So it just illustrates the power of, of getting into a story quickly and immediately setting the stage so that your audience uh, wants to find out what's going to happen. Well, I think in the kind of startup VC or, you know, capital space, a lot of people, the only maybe experience that they have with, with seeing how pitching actually works is from something like Shark Tank, right? Where the people are actually coached on their story for the show before they go on the show, right? Of course. And they're coached to formulate it as a story. But I've seen, you know, a lot of like pitch fest type stuff, you know, where they have all the different groups come give their pitches to win a prize. Or, you know, I used to do some volunteer work with, with some startup organizations and I've, I've seen a ton of pitches, right? I would say half the time, at least half the time, I hear a pitch, they come in and they're like, we're looking for X dollars. We are going to build this, 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 and this. This is how we're going to build it. You know, here's our plan, yada, yada, yada. And there is absolutely no story whatsoever. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, when I when I sit in a meeting and that's what I hear, and I've heard also hundreds, if not thousands of pitches, because it's what I've been doing for 15 years is working with founders and, and product people, is when someone starts talking about the story in, in a place where I have some agency and I can actually stop them, they start talking about their offering by talking about the product. I just stop them. So I don't want to hear about the product. That's the hero. That's the hero in the story. That's going to save the day. But I can't know how you're going to save the day with this product you've built or the service you've created if I don't know who you're saving it for and why they need to be saved. And the only way to do that is to tell a story about the person who's uh, you're building the product for and what their issues are and what they're struggling with and what's what's the obstacle in their way. And only once I know those things do I care about you coming in and, and fixing it and then tell me about the product at that point. And that is a story, what I just described. And in fact, what the book, what I do in the book, just to jump back to the book for a minute, is I literally teach people that structure. And I walk them through, I give them a framework. I call it the innovation narrative storyboard. So anything new that you're, you're working on and you want to figure out how do I build a story? How do I, how do I make sure it has all the key elements? Give me some reference points so I can see some illustrations of what you mean by these different, the protagonists, the insights, uh, the key conflict in the story. And I walk people through a framework 
on, on how to get that done. So that's the foundational part of telling a great story is you actually have to have one in the first place. You have to have a great story to tell. And then you can figure out cool and fun and compelling and evocative ways of telling it. But you first have to make sure you have all those key story elements in place. Now, from a you know, fundraising standpoint, which is what most startups are, are kind of concerned with at the beginning, right? Is the, like, is the story there to sell the product that they're going to pitch? Or is the story there to kind of sell the concept and the person and the team involved? And then we talk about the, the actual, you know, product or whatever it is itself after the fact. No, we absolutely talk about the product first and the team later. The only time I would recommend that someone talk about the team later, later, first rather, maybe is in your introduction. If there's something about your background that would convince someone that you're the perfect person to be doing this, like, and it's, it's overwhelming. Like I won a Nobel Prize or a Pulitzer Prize or I'm the leading researcher in the impact of sustainability of water resources and on global warming on water resource and, you know, whatever. And then that, that credibility leads you into the story. But even then it's just a sort of, it's a mention because the fact is the main thing I want to hear about if I'm an investor, frankly, if I'm a customer from anyone, when you're talking about this new thing is who needs it and why do they need it? And, and, and what is the problem and did you solve it? And it's only after I get that core product story that I want to know, okay, how many people are there like this? And have you tried it out on anybody? Do you have any traction yet? And what's the market opportunity? And what's your business model? And tell me more about your team. And how are you going to go to market? And what's your IP protection? All of those business-related facts are very important in that story for an investor anyway. But you have to start with a product story. There's got to be someone who needs this thing. And you've got to have, have met that need and solved it with this, this solution you've created. So once somebody kind of goes through the framework and they have their story set up, is it something that transfers then, you know, for use in their, you know, marketing, whether that's internal or external marketing or kind of helping out with their mission? Yeah, it's core to everything you do in terms of getting the word out about your company. That's why building that core narrative is so important because you want your whole team to be able to go out and tell that story in whatever format to whatever customer or constituent you need to tell the story to. And this story will evolve a little bit over time, but you have to start with that core story. So once I know that this is the customer I'm here to help and here's how I help them over time, then you you give that to a bunch of creative people, then they can come up with all sorts of interesting and new ways of telling the story. Story. They may tell some, find some customers who've had a great experience with your product. They may tell an imagined story that illustrates what your product can do. Like, you know, obviously the, the example you gave earlier was a fanciful example, that Coke and Pepsi commercial. But the point is, it's based on a foundation of a narrative. Here's this person, they're, they're all these things they want to try and accomplish. Here's a specific thing they can't do because the current solutions are terrible. And here's how we solve that problem. Once everybody has that, it's like, okay, go and now make this interesting. There's so many different ways to tell a story, but you have to start with that, that core architecture. And in the book, in the first section, I tell you how to build that architecture for the story. In the second section, I call it act two of the book. I give you a bunch of techniques to tell it in an interesting and compelling way. Vertical takeoff is one example. Another example is to get personal. Another example is to bring the customer in the room. Another example is to introduce an antagonist in your story. Many techniques 
to make that story really fun and interesting and compelling and memorable. And then the third section of the book is all about story archetypes, because there are certain innovation stories we tend to hear over and over again. And if you identify one of these archetypes as like your story, it might just give you a little bit of a framework that you can, you know, leverage, you know, the promised land story, the purpose narrative, the two-sided market love story. These are all different kinds of frameworks that are in that third section on sort of story archetypes. So that's what's in the book. And it's designed to sort of help you through all of these phases of building and telling a story. All right. Well, let me play devil's advocate for a second. As we all know, all venture capitalists and angel investors are completely logical, rational people and are putting their money in in 100 percent logical places. So why does it matter to have an emotional hook to a story at all if that's the case? Well, because there's this other thing that's really fascinating about venture capitalists and engineers and actually anybody you can think of that's going to listen to your story. And that is no matter how pragmatic and practical they are, as you just described, they're human beings. They're all human beings. And we've literally evolved to respond to story. We're up to 22 times more likely to remember something, 22 times, if we heard it in the context of a narrative. So if I tell you that there's 50 million people who go hungry every night in the United States and there's 365 million pounds of food that's wasted every day, you may or may not remember those two facts. But if I tell you a story about a 20-year-old college student who just left her, her, her dining hall where there was all of this excess food because institutions have tons of excess food at the end of every meal. And she walked down Telegraph Avenue, which comes right out of campus at Berkeley, and bumped into a homeless person named John who was a veteran who hadn't eaten in three days. And he told her why he hadn't eaten and what it was like being hungry. And she saw this incredible contrast between a hungry person in this country and all this excess food that she set out to create a business to turn excess food into food for, for people who were going to bed hungry. And she was going to connect that 365 million pounds of food every day with those 50 million people who go to, go to bed hungry every night in the United States. Now you're going to remember those two numbers. Because you heard about him in the context of the story of, of this, this person whose name is Koma Lamad, who founded Copia, who met this guy, John, on the streets of Berkeley. So my point is that no matter how much as an investor you want to hear, oh, that's a big market. If there's 365 million pounds of excess food and there's food and there's 50 million hungry people, that's a, I could see where that's a big opportunity. Thank you for that data. But they have to be able to remember the story when they leave so they can talk to other people about it and be motivated by it. And that story will get them there. And people respond to these things. They're motivated by stories. Even if they tell you they just want the facts, they need the story. I, I 100% agree. You know, something that's kind of interesting kind of on the similar storyline, I've been doing this kind of deep dive into, you know, what is this mysterious Web3 thing that people are talking about and, and you know, crypto and metaverse and, and DAOs and all this stuff. I went to uh, Creator Economy Expo in Phoenix recently, a week or so ago. And, you know, I met all these people who are, you know, creating videos for a living or they're podcasters for a living. And, you know, all these people are doing stuff. And, I was sitting on the plane on the way back and I was like, there's a story here, but I'm unable to connect the story of what I want to tell, right, with how do I explain all these really complicated technologies 
And then it kind of kind of randomly just dawned on me this thing that I had read a long time ago about one part of the story to move the narrative in the story forward is called the the strange new world, right? It's like discovering that the matrix is there, right? This is the strange. And once you're in the new world, you know, once you're in it, you're in it, right? You can't take the genie back out of the bottle kind of thing. And so I've kind of redefined it and said, I'm not saying come learn what a blockchain is, right? I'm like, Matt went down to discover what Web3 is and fell down the rabbit hole. So follow me on my journey and see all the magic that I've discovered in this strange new world that nobody understands. And, you know, we went from, you know, a handful of people to to sign up to watch a presentation about it to like 100 people, right? And it's the only difference between marketing the first one and the second one was the story, right? Yeah. There's, I was just going to say, there's a, you know, a narrative approach, which is this notion where you talk about, there's a couple of different ways of thinking about it. One is I call it the inevitable meaningful change, meaning the world is going in a certain direction. It's inevitable and it's meaningful. It's going to change a lot of things. And if you, if you buy that, that that's where the world is going, then you've got it. There's all sorts of implications for that. That mean the thing that you're interested in, whether it's web 3.0 metaverse, whatever is just going to be a part of what that new world is going to look like. And there's a, there's a story about when Instagram was created, the founder, Kevin Seistrom was able to get a meeting with an investor named Chris Saka and Chris Saka reluctantly went to the meeting. He'd already made a gazillion dollars investing in in some other companies. And he'd also invested in the photo sharing space and he wasn't interested. But a friend said, go, just go see this guy. So he meets Kevin Seistrom and Kevin Seistrom takes his, his new smartphone out of his pocket, which they were, they were just starting to be prevalent in the, you know, 2010, they came out in 2008. And he says, this is how we're going to be taking photos in the future. We're not going to be using cameras. And if you believe that this is the primary way that we're going to capture images, then we need a better way to share and modify and, and amend and adjust those images off this device. And if you believe that, then let me show you how I'm making that easier for people with Instagram. And, and Chris Saka, who, who had no interest in the meeting, suddenly was like, oh my God, he's right. That's the inevitable meaningful change that people are going to be taking pictures for this new thing. And he invested in them and they sold to, to Facebook for a billion dollars. So the, the point is that, that if you can, part of a story is this is where the world is going. And that's one of those other, other ways to do that. I, I won't go down that other rabbit hole, but that is one way of sort of telling a story. This is where the world's going and, and, and my new thing is a part of that world. Yeah. And, you know, it's super interesting that, that the, where, where the world is going, you know, that you're, that you're talking about that because I've been just digging in so hard into this stuff to look and, and ask the question, right? Where is the world actually going, right? Where is marketing going? What are the uses for these new technologies, if any, right? And, and that kind of stuff. What are the business cases for them? And, and I found just like some crazy interesting stuff that is kind of a combination of this strange new world idea and the where the world is going. I was talking to this gal. Jasmine, she runs a channel on YouTube called VR with Jazz, where she helps people like get VR equipment and what's on the metaverse. And her latest video was about how she went on a, a metaverse date. So she went on a date with somebody that she hadn't met and they went and they played mini golf together and played some carnival games together and chatted and got to know each other out in the metaverse world. Right. And I'm like, 
you know, this might not be where everybody's going, but I mean, there's something here, right? People are using this for, for real world functionality that has meaning that's, that's beyond the space itself. I just find it incredibly interesting. And I think, you know, to get back to the book itself, man, without the story, these pitches and stuff that you hear, they come off very dry, right? It's, it's like reading an engineering, like a white paper or something. The story, I mean, somebody who has a good story, especially in like a pitch competition, kind of some of those that I've seen in the past, the person with the good story pretty much always wins. Yeah. I mean, even just think of the story you just told. Anybody who hears that story is already going to start to put themselves in it and start to think about it and imagine that world. And you're starting to think, well, wait a minute, is Jasmine... Do you think she'd have a relationship with someone in the metaverse that only existed in the metaverse? Is that someone that she would want to one day meet in person or is, is really her, her goal is to have a, a relationship on the metaverse that only exists in the metaverse? And, and I'm having all these thoughts as you're telling me the story. And then that's getting me to, to wonder more about, well, how does it work? And, and what was that date like? And what would they talk about? And, and what, would, what, where, what world were they? You told me they were playing miniature golf, but like, where does it go from there? Do they go to coffee afterwards? Point is, I'm thinking of all of these things and coffee in the metaverse of course. So I'm thinking of all these things because you've introduced a character and I'm now thinking about that character. I'm imagining being in that story. And now I'm drawn into this metaverse world in a way that maybe I never had before because you told like the tiny, tiny littlest sliver of a story about Jasmine's date in the metaverse. And now I'm and playing mini golf and now I'm there and I'm in it. So for anyone listening, if you don't believe that storytelling is powerful, all you have to do is think about how you yourself might have processed that little mini story about Jasmine. That's right. Just try and forget that story. And yeah. we'll see what happens. I'm sure Jasmine will be pumped that we're uh, talking about her on the podcast. But it's quite an interesting world out there and startups are changing. I know the economy is is kind of shifting a little bit. And, you know, there's kind of some changes around how, you know, where money is being placed. And I know where I live in Nova Scotia, there's a lot of startups around kind of engineering mechanical things, you know, like LIDAR and carbon capture and ocean cleanup and lightweight technologies for marine vessels and, and, and things like this. But I've also seen, you know, a lot of VC money in this, you know, kind of Web3 space, kind of new distributed software and, and privacy centered technology and stuff. And I think that the story behind both of those, you know, is what sells it in the end. You know, you're absolutely right. Selling the story of climate change and we need to capture carbon is, is a fairly easy story to tell. Or same with the privacy of an individual, but making it relatable, I think, is the difficult part. Yeah. And I want to I want to highlight a couple of points as you talk about this. One is that that innovation is happening everywhere. It's all around us. It's so much easier to innovate. It's one of the reasons why my goal is to get the book out to as many people as possible. I'm really excited to be on this podcast as I am on any podcast, because hopefully anybody who hears it might say, oh, this might be helpful to help me with this new thing I'm trying to create. Because you don't have to be in Silicon Valley where I am out in the Bay Area. You're all the way across the country in a province in Canada and in a smaller community and all this innovation is happening around you. The point is that innovation is happening everywhere. And the second point I wanted to make is that 
the little secret about the book and about the notion of storytelling is that a good story and developing a good story can actually help you build a better product in the first place. So what do I mean by that? A lot of the innovators I've worked with, and I've worked with literally hundreds of innovators over the last 15 or 20 years, they start out thinking they're doing one thing and then they realize, wait a minute, I'm doing something else. And they've started by, they've created this story. I had this one founder named Ben who created this notion that he was going to go out and create something like Yelp for small businesses. I'm a small business. I want to get a new, uh, a new business card. I want to check out different printers. I want to see how they're rated and reviewed so I can choose the right printer. Well, they started down that path and they started speaking to small businesses over and over again and asked them what they liked, what they didn't like about running the business. Over and over again, they heard they hate hiring. Local hiring is really hard for local bake shops, local print shops, whatever. It's just really hard. And they, they use Craigslist and Craigslist is terrible for this. So after hearing that story, they looked at the story they crafted and they said, wait a minute, it's a different story. The, the thing that they're struggling with the most, these small businesses, is local hiring. The problem statement is how can I make it easier to find a great candidate for your local company? And they completely pivoted and built a different business. They built a business that's a local hiring site, and they've grown and they're now all over the country. It's called LocalWise. Uh, the point is that working through, I've got a hypothesis that this is a story, fill out your framework, make sure you know what you think you're doing, go talk to people, and you might have to change it. And, 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 and vetting the narrative, as I say, is what ultimately might get you to actually change the product you're building in the first place. Uh, so story can help you both strategically and, and obviously as a communications tool to inspire people. I don't want to, I could talk to you all day, but I think we've kind of hit the major points that we need to get somebody interested in pursuing your book so it can help them out with their story. The book is Get Your Startup Story Straight by David Reamer. David, if somebody wants to get the book or they want more information, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, look for the book on Amazon. They can either look up my name, David Reamer, R-I-E-M-E-R, or just Get Your Startup Story Straight. Either one will take you to the book. You can learn more about me at davidreamer.com, spelled the same way, or connect with me on LinkedIn, David Reamer, R-I-E-M-E-R. Easy to find me, and I love connecting with folks who are inspired by talking and thinking about stories. Perfect. We'll put that stuff in the show notes for everybody as well, in the uh, show notes that no one ever reads. Uh, statistically, we have discovered that no one reads show notes. Let me tell you a story about why I should read the show notes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, David, thank you so much for being on the show. And I'll uh, I'll get on Discord. I'll, I'll send a shout out to VR with Jazz so she knows we were talking about her story on the show. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.